Don't turn it off now. You need this stuff. Tampa Bay's Tantalk Radio Network. Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Belladora's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer wine, and great desserts. They even make their bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Largo Road, near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorasepizza.com. Tell us what you're doing here today with uh, Jay's Garage. Well, we're doing a show for CNBC, uh, kind of like the financial aspect of it, as well as some of the fun stuff. And we've got, uh, well, we got some great stuff on millionaires that get really mad when their cars don't win. It's fascinating. <laughs> These guys. Yeah. Well, these collector cars, the collector car market, my understanding, has just exploded more so in the last 10 years than almost any other investment, right? Yeah, that's probably true. I mean, money's not worth anything anymore, so yeah. might as well put it in cars. <laughs> hey, cheaper than getting a new kitchen or bathroom. Tell the wife that. <laughs> exactly. It's a better investment. If you put a kitchen in in 1984, that kitchen isn't worth anything now. But if you bought a 911, yeah. Oh my goodness. So, see, honey. Yeah. Way better investment than a kitchen. <laughs> you heard it from Jay, honey. We're going out and buying a Porsche Targa right. air cool. That's it. That, that's what we're going to do right All now. All you need is a microwave. <laughs> Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Hi, I'm Corky Coker, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and you can see us live here in the studios. Don't forget to check out our... Let me do that one more time. Don't forget to check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. And uh, let's see, oh yeah, if you missed any of our past shows, way over 300. We're getting into deep in the three digits here, right, Bobby? Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, check out our podcast page, which you can find on our website, and it's called Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Now, Bobby, would you like to do the social Whoa, media? It's called honors? Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Nostalgic Radio and Cars, yes. On the Tantalk the Radio Network. The most fascinating. Oh, and legendary names in motorsports. Wonder where that is. Yes. As a matter of fact, we have a very fascinating and legendary motorsports individual. Well, I wouldn't exactly say he's motorsports, but a car individual coming on our show later. Now, Bobby, go ahead and do the uh, social media stuff because you're much better at it, and I'm learning it slowly but surely. Oh, yes. They must follow us on Twitter and Periscope, at NRC on Air, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Nostalgic Radio, and Cars. Simple as that. Simple as that. Okay. Well, anyway, hope everybody had a good 4th of July because that was yesterday, wasn't it, Bobby? 
Yeah, it was. And there was quite a few fireworks. Nobody, you know, nobody really got uh, hurt. You didn't hear about anything bad, so that was a good thing. Did that, you? And you know, we uh, it, it was a, to celebrate the independence or the paperwork leading to the independence of our great nation. Correct, Bobby? You want to give us a little quick history lesson? Yeah, it's kind of like uh, how we, we we celebrate the paperwork that get get us the FM station here, not necessarily the day. It's yes, <laughs> yes, yes. That's the best news coming out of this radio station. Nostalgic Radio and Cars is looking forward to it as well as everybody else here at the Tantalk Radio Network. But we have a FM translator that is hooked up to our antenna and with a little luck, sometime this week, right? Am I correct, Bobby? We will have a operational, fully operational FM channel. It is safe to say safe that to you s- should preset your radio on 106.1 and listen to the static until our beautiful voice of the Tantalk Radio Network comes flowing through. Your car door speakers. That's right. How about that? Yes. Okay, so uh, what do we got going on here? I, you know, I was just bumbling and stumbling around here on, um, on a website because I'm always looking for car stuff, obviously, because, you know, being a broker, I have a number of cars that I'm looking for for customers, and also since I do appraisals and pre-purchase inspections, be sure and contact us through our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, if you do need an appraisal or a diminished value or a valuation or a total loss valuation on your prized four wheels with a motor somewhere in the front or the back, depending on where your car is. You may even have an electric car these days. I'm not even sure. Um, but at any rate, uh, so visit Nostalgic Radio and Car, or excuse me, GolfStreamMotorsports.com. But anyway, so I'm always on the internet, on the interweb, as uh, Richard Rollins would say. That and, is not what we program here. <laughs> and I stumbled on this thing called Florida Cool Rides. Now, we all know about FloridaCarShows.com, their speed culture. But there's also Florida Cool Rides, which is uh, supposedly a muscle car, kind of like forum slash website. And uh, something that caught my eye was this little story about a new book that's out, and it's called Classic Cars for Fun and Poverty. I had to think about that for a second, because if you own a classic car, if you had money, you will soon be in poverty, because nobody realizes how much it costs to... Fix or restore a car. Now, we are in the Especially mis- if it's an MGB. MGB GT, yes. Little Miss Moneypenny, we retired her for a week, too, because she attacked my wrist. And my wrist has been acting up. And Well, we're actually waiting for a few little pieces here and there for her. But she actually runs and drives pretty good. Still have to get the carbs, the carburetors dialed in a little bit. But at any rate, uh, fun little car. But uh, So this book was kind of interesting. I'm going to try to find out a little bit more about it. But I thought I, I'd read a little, couple little... Uh, Sentences here. It says, so you want to own a classic car. And then below it, it says, let us bow our heads and have a moment of silence. Now, the great myth about cars is, is, and I tell everybody this, the best thing to do is buy a car that's affordable, that's common, that's, uh, you know, got a great parts network and stuff like that, something that's easy to fix and you can have a lot of fun with. And don't spend a lot of money, get a driver quality car because that way you can drive it. And unless you're dyed in wool, kind of car collector kind of guy, you know, if you have a car a year or two or three, sometimes, you know, you get a little tired of it and you want to get something else. If you're dyed in wool car kind of guy like I am, uh, you keep those cars and you die with them someday. Uh, right, Bobby? Yeah. Uh, well, you might, and, and that's, and if you get them running, you know, unfortunately, I was in the salvage yard business, so I had a tendency to get one, tinker with it, then to get another one, tinker with that, get another one. Pretty soon I had 10, 15, 20 cars, and not one of them ran and drove. I tinkered with them a lot, pushed them around a lot, towed them around a lot, shoved them around a lot, and so on and so on and so on, but I didn't really get drive that many of them. 
I do have some drivers, and I did have some drivers. And um, so that's where we're going with Little Miss Moneypenny. Miss Moneypenny was a running driving MGB, and all we had to do is just kind of like dial it in, tidy it up a little bit, give it a little bit of a British flair, and so on. Now, the next project that we're working on is the 1965 Mustang Convertible. Now, this is a factory four-speed car. It's a 289 four-barrel car, California production car. So it's a San Jose-built car. Now, me coming from California, I'm kind of weirded out on... Uh, our production, which is San Jose built cars. T is New Jersey production cars, and F is a Michigan production car. So we've had this car laying around for a while, and it was involved in a, in a little, let's call it a fender bender. And uh, so I think what we're going to do is we're going to pull it out of the mothballs, pull the mothballs out of it, or pull it out of the woodwork, so to speak, as they say. And I think we're going to kind of get this car going. Now, we're not going to restore these cars. We're not into restoring. Restoration costs a lot of money. And by definition, restoration is take it 100% apart, put it 100% together. Whoa, guess what? Yeah, someone was writing all over social media that there's a really special guest on tonight, so I thought we should probably play him. I think we should. Okay, hey, uh, you know what? We're going to resume this discussion next week, so don't forget to, uh, we'll pick up where we left off. In the meantime, let's play a little Richard Thompson. Here's a little song he wrote, or a little ditty, if you will, about a 1952 Vincent Black Shadow called the Vincent Lightning. You tune into Nostalgic Green Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back with our very, very special guest for the evening. That's a fine motorbike A girl could feel special on any such like Says James to Red Molly My hat's off to you It's a Vincent Black Lightning 1952 And I've seen you at the corners and cafes it seems Red hair and black leather My favourite colour scheme And he pulled on behind and down to Bucks Hill they did ride Oh says James to Red Molly is a ring for your right hand but I tell you an honest I'm a dangerous man for I fought with the law since I was 17 I robbed many a man to get my Vincent machine Now I'm 21 years, I might make 22 And I don't mind dying but for the love of you And if fate should break my stride Then I give you my Vincent to ride Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kirk 
at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. This is Robert from Nostalgic Video and Cars, here to tell you about Belladora's Pizza and Pasta, where the food is fresh, the sauce homemade, and the price is fantastic. They offer Chicago-style stuffed crust pizza, New York-style pizza, calzones, strombolis, pasta entrees, beer one, and great desserts. They even make the bread fresh daily. Hey, they offer catering, and any order over 10 bucks delivery. So give them a call at 727-581-5000. Place your order now. They're located at 131 Clearwater Lager Road near downtown Largo. Or visit their website, belladorspizza.com. Hi, I'm Barry McGuire, host of Car Crazy Television, and you're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and it's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman, in fact, no one on the planet personifies the automobile hobby and collector enthusiasm than my next special guest for this evening. He's been on our show before. I'm delighted to welcome the quintessential car collector, Jay Leno. Jay, welcome. Hi, thank Stel- you, thank you. Actually, there are guys that are way far worse than I am. You ever go to those shows and you see the husband and wife and they have matching Mustang shirts and, you know, the whole deal. That's, 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 that's when you know it's over the edge. Yes, yeah. that's, that's when you know it's over. So you and your wife don't do that? No, no, my, no, 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 I don't really do that. <laughs> I, you know, a lot of times I'll go to a guy's house, and there'll be a Harley in the living room, and I always say to him, single man, are you? And they go, yeah, how did you know? I go, I just took a wild guess. A wild guess. So congratulations <laughs> on your show on uh, CNBC Prime on Wednesday nights. We look forward to your show. you got a great show. Why don't you give us a little background on it and tell us a little bit how the whole idea came about and how, the, uh, how it's formatted. Well, I did that Jay Leno's Garage on YouTube. I've been doing that for about 10 years, and we just started that as a hobby kind of thing. It's fun to do. And it, it grew into uh, YouTube's third biggest automotive website because, uh, you know, we just, it's pretty straightforward. We don't have tattoos or rebuild cars in a week or doing like that. It's all pretty much just talking about the vehicles with some passion and whatnot. And then uh, I got approached by a few different channels where you want to do something for network TV. And so I, I went with CNBC because it, it's a small network and you get to be a big fish in a small pond and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of why we went there. And it's, it's great fun. I really enjoy doing it. I mean, the TV show is a little different than the web show. The web show is for the real enthusiasts because you get into torque and horsepower and you break it down a little bit more. Uh, whereas the uh, the uh, network version is, is more entertainment, cars and you know, the love story behind them, the passion, the, you know, that type of thing. So, in other words, you go more into detail on the YouTube channel than you would, let's say, for example. Yeah, that's on probably the... true. That's okay. probably true. Because, yeah, you know, to be on t- on YouTube, you're playing strictly to the enthusiast. To be on TV, there aren't enough car enthusiasts to make a TV show viable. So you've got to make it interesting to people who are not car enthusiasts. I mean, the best compliment I get is when... People say, you know, my wife won't watch any of the car shows with me, but she likes your show. Oh, okay, thanks. So so that makes me think we're kind of doing something right, you know. Would it be fair to say, you know, because you mentioned that there's not a lot of car shows on TV. I mean, there are a lot, but it seems like they come and go. Now, for example, on CNBC, uh, Jeff Allen had a show a while back called The Car Chasers, and it sometimes runs and it hasn't been on in a few years. But what do you think, in your opinion, 
defines a good quality TV show where the commercial guys, the commercial, you know, uh, elite, if you want to call that, you know, the, the TV guys, uh, determine that that show should run or not run. Well, it's got to be interesting, you know. It's, it's the same sort of criteria I use when I buy a car. You know, to me, to be a collector car, it's got to, first of all, it's got to be fun to drive. It's got to have an engine or some powertrain of technological interest. And three, it should be good-looking. If you have those three things, you generally have a collector car, like a 57 Chevy convertible with a 283 that's fuel-injected. Well, that has all the elements. It's a good-looking car. It's a convertible. It's got the sexiest powertrain you can get in 57. And, and it's fun to drive, and people like it. So that would make that a collector car. You know, there are a lot of great cars out there that just never had. Do you remember a car called the Mosler? Do you remember that car? Um, it was a racing car. It used a Chrysler, I think, four-cylinder engine. Uh, and it was really fast, and it won a lot of races. But it was so god-awful ugly-looking because it was just pure aerodynamics. It wasn't a very sexy car. And the power plant wasn't anything particularly interesting. But it went like stink, and it did win a lot of races. But nobody really caught on to it because it only had one of the three. It, it drove really well, but it wasn't good-looking, and it wasn't technically interesting. So to me, those three things are what makes it fun to drive, and that, that's kind of what I use for the TV show, too. Now, you're talking about the Mosler. If I remember correctly, that car was kind of an open, well, no, it was kind of a closed car, and it was like uh, late 40s, early 50s. Is that when that car was came out? No, no, no. This was uh, late 80s, mid-90s. Oh, th that's kind of like the Consular and some of the yeah, other cars. Yeah, that's right. That's right, the Consular. Okay. That was the name of it. That's correct. Okay. And it was that. just not, I mean, it did win some races and stuff, but it just wasn't interesting. It, it, it had that Bradley GT look. Yeah, it did. It did. It's like when Shelby built the GLH. Remember the, the little Omni that goes like hell. I remember picking up an issue of Hot Rod magazine and had Carol Shelby standing next to the 350 GT and the GLH, and it said GLH beats 350 GT. I was so insulted. I said, "No, I gotta buy this. There's a trick here somewhere." Well, it actually probably was faster, but it was a, it was an ugly little Econo box with a really uninspiring engine. So it didn't. It doesn't have the collector value, or it didn't catch on the way the, the Mustang did. But that's not to say because it has Shelby's name on it, it will be valuable. You know. Well, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because I'm one of the state reps for the Shelby Club and a longtime Shelby guy since the '70s. And the guys that came out with the remember they came out with the little Shelby truck in the late '80s. And right, right. The little the the the, the GLH, which was kind of like a, a fancy Omni of some kind. Right, right. Yeah. And then that other little thing that had like a torpedo back. I can't remember what it was, but it was right, right. shared a, a, a Japanese body. But unfortunately, like you said, to what what that car has is a name and minimal performance. And right, right. Like you said, a certain degree of. And it wasn't it wasn't a good looking car. No, you know it wasn't a good looking car. I mean, a classic example would be something like the DeLorean. When it came out, terribly slow, terribly underpowered, but it was pretty sexy looking with the gold wing doors and that kind of uh, wedge shape to it. So it sold okay, but not to enthusiasts. You know, just people who wanted to look cool bought one. But anybody who knew knew they really weren't very much. I mean, later. Guys have modified them and put turbos on them and made them a little faster and whatnot. But when they first came out, they were a bit of a disappointment. 
Yeah, if he'd have picked a different drive line for that car, it probably would have done better. But you know, it's funny. The analogy would be the guys that bought those cars back then are the same people, the techie-oriented guys that buy kind of like a Tesla or some of these other kind of high-tech-oriented cars. Would that be a fair statement? I don't know, because um, I never thought of the uh, DeLorean as a tech car. I mean, it was it was it was billed as. Uh, an eco car. It okay. was supposed to get good gas mileage. You know, you didn't have to paint it. Uh, you could clean it with a steel wool, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was supposed to be not when environmental stuff wasn't as strict as it was now. You know, those, those are back in the days when you, you could say anything was good for the, for the environment. <laughs> you know, it's good and great for the environment, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I don't know many because technically DeLorean really wasn't very interesting. It had that Renault engine in it and you know, I remember Johnny Carson bought one and it stalled on the freeway and the battery went dead and he couldn't get out of it because the doors were electric. Oh. And the fire department came and they got him out and he did a lot of jokes about it and, and he was an investor in the company, so that that didn't help anything. Oh that's like the poor guys that bought Fiscas. They had the same problem. Yeah, Fisca wasn't very, I mean, you talk about bad luck. I mean, Fisca had 4,000 cars sitting on the dock in New Jersey when Hurricane uh, Sandy hit, and they all, they all just got totaled. You know, they got filled with salt water, and it was a total write-off. I mean, hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, figure 4,000 cars at, what, 100,000 and something apiece, and they all had to be pretty much totaled. You know, written off. So, yeah, I mean, the Fisker really wasn't a Tesla. It was kind of like a Chevy Volt with a sexier body on it, and it was way too heavy. And you only got twenty miles free electric before the gas engine kicked in, and it wasn't fast or anything. You know, the the Fisker looked great until you parked it next to a comparable Audi or Mercedes, and you looked at the shunt lines, and you looked at the level of interior, and you go, "Oh boy, yeah, this." This is much better, you know. I mean, it wasn't a bad first effort. I mean, it was a good-looking car, but I remember Colin Powell, I think, had two of them, and they both, he turned them both in just because it was too much trouble. Now, supposedly, I was reading somewhere, at one point, Bob Lutz was getting involved, and they were going to put small-block Chevrolets or LSs in them, and then I heard another company, a Chinese company, bought them out, and they're going to kind of, like, revive the... Yeah, the a Chinese company has bought them out, and they're going to revive them. And, you know... Good luck with that. I mean, I don't know. It's like putting new Coke in a new bottle. You know, it's it's once something gets tainted, boy, it's hard to to bring it back. You know, I mean, once you get a reputation, a classic example is the Corvair. When Ralph Nader's book came out, they actually sold more uh, Corvairs than they just did copies of the book. Uh, but then General Motors was so incensed at what Ralph Nader said about their car that they tried they sent you know investigators after them and all this kind of stuff and tried to set them up with a prostitute and all this kind of nonsense and when that story broke then suddenly the whole world wanted to know why the largest corporation in the world was going after a 28 year old lawyer and then the whole corvair you know it's the classic case of the cover-up is worse than the crime because in 1971 the sae issued a report saying the Corvair was no more or less dangerous than any other car on the road and by that time the suspension had been fixed and all the problems are taken care of. It was actually a great car. 
I mean, I've got uh, I've got three Corvairs. I, I I love them. It's the most innovative American car ever built. But once you get stuck with that regular, it's like the Edsel. There was nothing wrong with the Edsel. People think they blew up or they broke down. They didn't. The trouble is, it was before market research, and it it was like two hundred bucks less than a Lincoln, and two hundred bucks more than a Mercury. So people would go, eh, I'll either get the Lincoln or the Mercury. Why buy something I never heard of? You know, and that, and it was more a, a case of bad marketing than it was anything else. You, know, you mentioned the uh, Corvair, and it was the early cars, the pre-65 cars, right. are the ones that had the problem with the steering column. And then if they were such a bad car, how come well-known legendary race car driver Fitch took them and made his own? Yeah, his Fitch went racing, but then you also they get that legendary comedian and big-time star Ernie Kovacs, he and his wife died in one when they hit a tree in Beverly Hills. So, you know, you know one brings you up, one brings you down. The, the fascinating thing about it is the Corvair was deemed a failure because they only sold 1.8 million of them. You know, you sell 50,000 or something now, they make you president of the company. But back in the 60s, when the Mustang was selling 3 million, whatever it is, Oh, the Corvair only sold 1.8 million, so that was deemed not successful. <laughs> Speaking of Mustangs, now I want to jump in because one of your episodes, you did a little retro deal with the '66 or '65 Shelby, then they came up behind you with the modern day Shelby. Right. But talking about Mustangs, I remember once you were on a show a couple years ago, and you talked about when they first came out with the with the Mustang. You know, you were there on the window like every like the rest of us. You know, glued there. Wow, this right. is a new car. Do you own a 65 Mustang, just a plain Jane 65 No, Mustang? no, I've got a 65 Shelby, car number 120, um, a 350. Okay. Uh, I've had that for a long, long time. Um, I mean, I, was, I remember being offered one for $600. I said, I'll give you 450 He said, no, I want 600 I go, I'm not paying that. <laughs> and then I waited 15 years and paid $60,000. So, you know, so get them when they're young, you know. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you mentioned that, too. And then the other thing I was going to ask you is, you, you're a, I would, uh, B-A-T, bat bring a trailer follower, because I know at one point you bought a Falcon off of there, right? I bought a couple of cars. Actually, I followed it before it was an auction. Okay. I mean, I liked it when, oh, here's something for sale. How much is it? Okay, I'll buy it. I won't buy it. No, I, I'm not one of those guys. I don't want to sit all day and, you know, stop what I'm doing, and, and honey, we can't go to dinner. I got to watch this auction. You know, mm-hmm. I, it gets a little crazy. So I, I, I haven't really done anything since it became an auction site. I liked it when you could just, you know, just call up and buy stuff. You know? Right. But uh, I know you're on there. So how that? Do you still have that Falcon? Oh yeah, yeah. I still. I never sell anything. I still <laughs> have everything. No, I, I don't sell anything. I mean, occasionally we will. Well, once a year we'll auction a car off for. Uh, uh, the USO or, right. or one of those kind of charities. Uh, but, no, I don't really sell anything. Because I said to myself, you got to have a pile of green stuff or this shiny thing that makes noise. Oh, give me the shiny thing that makes noise. You know, I, I, I still think like a 14-year-old when it comes to these things. That's a great philosophy, too, though. Um, let me ask you this. Okay, yeah. so back to the episode where you, were, where, they, where you were driving your 65 Shelby in the California Hills. Right. And then you got a chance to drive the new one. Give us, a, give us an analogy there. Well, I tell you, I've I've got a new 350R. Mm-hmm. It is the greatest Mustang ever built. I mean, any problem you ever had with a Mustang, uh, I mean, I've always been a fan, but they were solid axle cars. I mean, in this day and age, and, and most people didn't mind it because most people just wanted straight-line performance and drag racing. And, and Shelby got them to handle pretty good with a solid axle. 
Uh, and when they came out with the IRS a number of years ago, a lot of people didn't order it because they didn't need it, didn't care about it. But this new 350R is uh, its a true sports car. I mean, it really handles. The engine revs to 8,300. I mean, you hit six grand, you still got almost 2,500 more to go. I mean, it's the best sounding. I think it's the greatest American engine since the small block Chevy came out in the in the early 50s. It's, you know, four cam, flat plane crank. I mean, it's basically a Ferrari engine at Mustang prices. And the, the fun thing about it is, you know, a couple of years ago, a company called Carbon Revolution came to my garage to sell me wheels. And they were making carbon fiber wheels for Lamborghini and Porsche, and I said, how much are these wheels? And they said, they're $20,000 a piece. And I go, well, that's a little crazy to save 13 pounds, $20,000. So it's $80,000 for a set of these wheels? They said, yeah, but we're working with an original equipment manufacturer now to try and get the price down. I could get it down. They're 80000 What are they going to be, seventy eight five? I mean, that's crazy. And then two years later, those very wheels are on the Ford Mustang, which sells for, what, $62,000? Uh, I mean, that shows you how manufacturing and 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 uh, volume can bring a price down. I mean, those wheels alone were $20,000 more than the price of the whole Mustang. But because Ford was able to manufacture it uh, reasonably efficiently and, and, and mass manufacture it, it's down to, what are they, 1200 bucks a wheel, something like that now? So that's that's pretty amazing. That's interesting. Let me get your take on this now. You've driven the Mustang. Mm-hmm. And I know you've driven the new Challenger, and I know you've driven the new Camaro. Now, from my perspective, and I'm a Ford guy, but let's my bias aside, the Mustang, in my opinion, epitomizes the world car, which is kind of like the goal that Ford was trying to achieve, you know, a, a kind of right. a really a good balance all-around sports car. not too big, not too small, great handling car. The Challenger and the Camaro, in my opinion, when you sit in them, they're a little bulky and they're a little big. What's your take? Well, start with the Challenger. I've got the Hellcat. And, you know, if you want a big, comfortable, fast car to take a road trip in, it's the greatest thing in the world. I mean, it's 707 horsepower. It's like, uh, you know, it's like Shaquille O'Neal go, well, he's too big. Yeah, but he's fast. And when he comes at you, get out of the way, you know. I mean, I love this Hellcat. I think it's the greatest car. I mean, because you sit in it, and it's really what the car should have been from the beginning. It's comfortable. It's safe. It goes 200 miles an hour. It's a family car. You know, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I, you really have to go to Lamborghini or Ferrari or any of these people to get that kind of horsepower level, you know. And if you get it in the Charger, which is cheaper than the, uh, than the Challenger, it's an even better deal. I mean, um, I really like it. I mean, it's um, for for normal street handling. It's a fantastic compromise car because most people, you got a wife, you got kids, you got to bring stuff. Okay, you can put them in the Charger or the Challenger and still go fast. You know, to get that kind of performance, you usually wind up in a two seater body that's kind of swoopy, and it's classically American. You know, there's no other company in the world that big that builds big fast, reasonably priced sedans like that. And that's what makes it kind of fun. I mean, you could come from another planet and go, well, that's got to be an American car, you know? I mean, because it's, it's, you know, it doesn't make any excuses. They go, yes, 
we're over two tons and we have 700 horsepower and get out of the way. I mean, that's that's what I like about it. I mean, uh, and the, the Camaro is, 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 you know, this is what I love about American car companies now. They're now being run by real engineers. They're not being run by marketing guys. I mean, I grew up in the era when you take an ordinary sedan, they put a racing stripe on it and some fake mag wheels, and they call it a performance package, when it really didn't do anything at all. You know, whereas now, those days are gone forever. I mean, you look at the new CTSV Cadillac. It's 640 horsepower. It will blow the doors off the comparable uh, BMW or Mercedes-Benz, and it has the winning time at Nürburgring, and it's still a Cadillac. I mean, when I was a kid, Cadillacs were meant to go down the street in Boca Raton, Florida. You know, you put it in drive, and the thing floats along. You know, and so to me, to see the turnaround is amazing. And the new Camaro, although I'm more partial to the Mustang body style, I don't like the slit window in the Camaro. It's a little truncated for me. But you, it's got a 10-speed automatic. 10. I mean, how strong? What are those gears? You know, the, the more power you put through an engine, the bigger the gears have to be. And when you make gears literally that small, 10 speeds, to take that kind of torque, uh, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's amazing material and amazing engineering. Uh, I mean, none of the Europeans have got 10 speeds out yet. And none of them are putting 640 horsepower through it. So it's uh, all three of those cars are pretty amazing. It's just a matter of preference which one you like, you know. Let me jump back to, let's just say, the late 80s, early 90s. It's, it, the American car, and I was in the salvage yard business back then, so you know, I, the cars were pretty pathetic, quite frankly. <laughs> oh, yeah, they were terrible. Remember the Cadillac Cimarron? That was hilarious. <laughs> it was a Chevy was Nova a, with... A Cavalier. Oh, Cavalier, yeah, with um, you know, with velour upholstery, hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Unlike, unlike the uh, what was the Cadillac that came out in the late seventies, the four door was that was basically a Nova. That was actually not a bad car. The Seville, the very first edition of Seville. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that wasn't a bad car. But anyway, so then in nineteen ninety, in the late eighties, early nineties, the Japanese were building some pretty nice cars. And then in 1989, 90, Ford came out with the Taurus. Then some of the American cars started to change a little bit. So we knew that the Japanese almost, and some of the German cars, forced the American manufacturers to take another look at it. Now, fast forward to, we're just talking about the Challenger, the Mustang, and the, uh, and the Camaro. Would you say that because of the competition from the European cars, that the, that the American car manufacturers were somewhat forced to come up with really cool performance-oriented cars? Slash well, yeah, retro? I think so. I okay. think so, sure. I think that's more than fair to say because, let's face it, you know, people, don't, people are inherently pretty lazy. You don't do anything. I mean, the Corvette would still be, have 350 horsepower if the Viper hadn't come out. You know, the Corvette, when it came out in the, in the early 90s, was the most powerful American car you could buy. Through, oh, wow, 350 horsepower. And then the Viper came out with 400 horsepower. I remember when I bought my Viper 92, the salesman telling me, you'll never see 400 horsepower in a production car again. This is the last time, uh, okay, you, you know, you fall for all that stuff. <laughs> and, but I still have the car. So, yeah, I mean, competition. Plus, you, you live in the world of the Internet now where every mistake is magnified. You live in a world now where you can't, it's so competitive like, if you're in the restaurant business, if you have anything less than an A rating in your window, nobody's going to come to your restaurant. It, it, it's as simple. A minus, they don't come. You know, it, it's as simple as that. You can't, 
you can't make a crappy car anymore because you, you, you wouldn't stay in business. You know, people are smarter now. They have access to a lot of information. Uh, they go online. They read other people's reviews of it. You know, it's, it's, you, you, you can't be in this business unless you're at least an A. You know, it's like, like when I was a kid, everybody went to McDonald's. Oh, they just went to McDonald's. But now you've got five guys who've got these hamburgers that are 2 and $3 a hamburger more than McDonald's. But it's a better hamburger. So people go, hell, I'd rather spend the money and get that. And that's kind of where we are now. You know, people just want to spend the money and get what they want. Plus, you also have something that you never had before, which is boutique manufacturing. Uh, you know, you've got the major equipment suppliers like Ford, GM, Chrysler. If Brembo makes a better brake, what are we knocking ourselves out putting our own brakes on? Buy Brembo brakes. If Ebok makes a better spring, let's just buy an Ebok spring. So consequently, you have this boutique manufacturing where you start with a particular powertrain, and then you, oh, give me the wheels from so-and-so, give me the Michelin tires from this guy, give me this from this, and, and, and you build what you want. You get the best of everything. Absolutely. Let me get your take on the new Corvette. We're talking about, you know, the the foreign car influence. Let's say, like, for example, the Ferraris and the Lombos and stuff like that, and the Audis and the Porsches, the GT3 RSs and stuff. So the Corvette, which is still considered by most people, short of the Ford GT, the quintessential American sports car. And mm -hmm. I think for the money, the new Corvette rivals anything that that Europe has to to yeah, offer. Yeah, it's I the guess. greatest car for the money because when you look at when they do these tuner shootouts with mm -hmm. car and driver or road and track, the two cars that always show up and the two cars that always win are Corvette and Porsche. You know, because they take a beating. You know, whenever I see Corvette or Porsche, I never see people brag about how few miles it has. They brag about how many miles it has. I mean, I see guys show up with. 91 911T Porsches that they've had for 40 years with 280,000 miles on it, you know, and they brag about it, you know, whereas, you know, you get the Ferrari guys and these other guys, and my car's only got 1,500 miles. I've had it 20 years. Well, I guess so. I mean, yeah, so what does that mean? You didn't use it, you know. Uh, the Corvette, the Corvette is the greatest performance bargain in history. I mean, it's, it is, if you put, Two equal drivers in the Corvette and the Ferrari. It's it's pretty much a toss of which one is going to lap or win. Is the Ferrari probably more exciting and all that? Yeah, maybe. Okay, but the Corvette it, it it's it's such such an incredible deal for the money. And the funny thing is, you know, I was over in Europe and I got to drive a Corvette on the autobahn, and most German cars are are uh, speed limited to 155. Whereas a Corvette, I could take it up to 180, 190 on the Autobahn. No problem. And everywhere I went with that car, kids would come running over like it was some exotic, because they don't have them there. Like it's some exotic Ferrari. Is that the Corvette? Is that the ZR1? Is that the They knew all the nomenclature. They knew all about the car. I mean, you, you felt like, a, like you were driving the most exotic thing in the world, you know. So, uh, yeah, the Corvette is the best performance bargain in history. The you talked earlier about uh, the the Cadillac and you know how it has a track record at the Nurburgring. Did you get a chance to drive the Corvette on the, the Nurburgring at all? No. What did I drive? I drove uh, the Jaguar XK. Uh, was it XKS uh, RS? I can, I, a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. um, the 550 horsepower Jag. Uh, I did a bunch of 
laps at Nürburgring in that one. No, I didn't get a chance to drive the Corvette or the others. The Corvette versus the Cadillac in terms of performance, what's your thoughts on that? I mean, that the Cadillac actually will outperform the Corvette? No, no, no okay. it won't outperform the Corvette, but it'll outperform any other four-door sedan. Okay. I, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously the Cadillac has got a bit more creature comforts and all that kind of stuff. It's a bit heavier. And, I mean, two different classes. You know, one's an out-and-out performance machine, mm-hmm. and the other is, uh, I think it's fair to say the CTSV is the Corvette for a guy that's got a family, you know, or you, if you've got to carry clients with you and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's more than fair to say. I mean, there is so much performance in that CTSV. Put one up on a lift and look underneath it. Oh my God, it's it's all tech and magnesium, and it's it's very very impressive. Pretty sophisticated car, then, huh? It really, I mean, it really is sophisticated. I mean, you know, America is finally competing on the world stage, you know, and and doing a really good job of it. I mean, it's it's really impressive. You know, the Mustang is now being sold in England in right-hand drive, in Australia in right-hand drive. Uh, it's being sold in Germany. Uh, the Corvette, the C7, was made just a little bit smaller so it could meet European road specifications and not be too wide. Uh, I mean, they're, they're doing very well over there. I mean, it's seen as a real exotic. And in, in terms of maintenance compared to exotic cars, there's no comparison. Yeah. I want to flash back to uh, one of your episodes here. Uh, most recently, we saw that you were in uh, the Hemi Underglass. I think it's the oh, car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, with Bob okay. Riggle. Yeah, okay. Funny. Tell us a little bit about that, because that looked like one wild ride. And I'll tell you what that amazed me, because I was reading some of the comments on the blogs. There was no window nets. Now I'm a vintage racer, so we have vin- we either have your hand, you know, you have your hand straps to, you know, the, the, yeah, yeah, to yeah. your body, or you have a window net. You didn't have either. No, no. Um, but I, when we started to roll, I went, okay, let me keep my hands in here. You know, if you if you can remain reasonably calm, this is why drunks walk away from car accidents, because they're so drunk, they don't tense up. They don't even know what's going on. And if you cannot be intimidated by that, I mean, as soon as we rolled, it was kind of funny. We had, you know, the guy comes running over, and he goes to Bob Rick, what's your name? What's your name? He goes, Bob Rick, how old are you? 80. And then I said, my name is Bob Riggle, and I'm 80. One of these two men is Bob Riggle. You know, and we, and we, we had a good time and, and fun with it. But, uh, I mean, the safety equipment worked. It did its job, the roll bar and the safety in the cage and everything. But, yeah, we probably should have had netting up there. Interesting. Now, let me ask you a question because he says, his comment afterwards says, yeah, it looks like it's going to need a new body. Now, you it is. It is okay. You and I both know a lot of those cars back in the day. You know they were you know substituted. You know the cars got old. It was an old car. They just went ahead. Yeah, and bought it up. Yeah. So was that the original car or was that? No, no. The original car has been gone for a long, okay. long time. There's been uh, at least a half a dozen versions of the car around. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all built under supervision of Hearst and Bob and everybody. But uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a you know it's like when you uh, you know, when I was a kid, I was once playing a gig, and you remember a group called the Letterman from oh, the yes. 60s? Uh-huh. Uh, they were playing in the same town in two different clubs. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> because one guy was married to somebody who was in the group, and in the other group, somebody was a cousin of one of the original. You know, they all claimed to be, 
you know, so it's like when you go see the Chiffons or some girl group from the 60s, you don't really know when you don't know the people. They're all new people, you know, and you go, wait, how can they be 25 years old? That's long as 60 years old. Well, you know, welcome to show business. <laughs> when you were growing up in New England, um, when you were younger, were you kind of, uh, what type of a racing fan were you? Were you a drag race fan, a road race fan? No, I wasn't really a racing fan as much okay. as I was a car fan. Okay. I mean, I enjoyed racing, but... Racing on television, especially back in those days, big camera up in the stands, facing down at the track, just going in circles. You know, they never really, this is before the days of in-car cameras and GoPros you could put on, you know, on on the rocker panel and and get that sense of speed and and whatnot. So I didn't follow it. Plus, you know, you'd watch Chris Economaki maybe on a Sunday afternoon. He might have in Wild World of Sweat to be like, nine minutes of racing, and then it's back to discus throwing and all the other boring stuff, you know. <laughs> so there really wasn't a lot to see back in the day. Do you remember the TV show with Bud Linderman? What was the name? What was that? I'm trying to think. It was, it was um, he used to come on, and what he would do, he would do like a uh, test with a car. And I don't know if it was Motor Trend or who, but it was Bud Linderman. Oh, we had Bob Scanlon on the show here a while back, and he remembers um, Bud Linderman, and he used to do this show, and he would talk a little bit about racing, but what he would always do is he would feature a car, and it could have been an old Tornado, it could have been a AMC Marlin, or it could have been right, a Mustang, right. and then he would have done a little bit of a segment maybe on a driver, and then he would do some updates on, let's say, NASCAR racing or, right, or something right. like that, and I wasn't sure whether he remembered that, and I can't remember the show, but it was Bud Linderman. It was, I liked to watch that when I was a kid, and like you, I had the same problem, and I was just, and my next question is this, because people think like we had Bobby Unser on one time, and Bobby Unser says, Robert, if you're going to talk about racing, I will come on your show because you're going to be talking about racing. Well, a lo- mo- I'm like you. I'm a car enthusiast. I kind of follow racing. I've done some vintage racing, but I'm more of right. a car guy. Do you get kind of in conversations where people don't quite understand, well, if you like cars, how come you don't follow racing? Yeah, a little bit. I mean, to me, it takes so much. It's like drag racing. When you go through a set of pistons every race, or you blow up an engine every race, the waste factor, I mean, to me, so much effort goes into making the car run and perform. I, I can't go out and beat the hell out of it and break it. It just, I feel like <laughs> I'm being irresponsible. I mean, I, I, I like to save everything that I have. I like to get it running and to go out and race it and break it. Eh, it, it it's just not my, plus to me, you know, racing's another job. I have a job. Okay, I, I'm on TV and you write jokes and all that kind of nonsense. Okay, that's my job. The cars is my hobby and I enjoy it. If you start racing, then it becomes your job. I've seen more guys start racing and then they realize, oh, to win, they're going to need this. Okay, well, to really be competitive, they're going to need this set of tires. And next thing you know, they're mortgaging the house, they're missing two or three days of work because of practice, and then they... <laughs> they're still not a racer, but they don't have a job anymore. I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think the competitive nature of people is you want to do the best you can. If you can go out there and just enjoy it and have fun, that's fun. That's great. But most racers are competitive guys or women, you know, and if you're competitive, you're going to want to win, so you're going to do what you have to do to win. And it's a really expensive sport. I mean, it's crazy expensive how it is, you know, so that's kind of why I don't get involved in it. Plus, I don't want to be the, you know, see the kind of fat guy that shows up with the racing suit with the buttons look like they're about to pop any minute, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And plus, there's a certain, 
you know, I'm I've been pretty fortunate, and and I don't want to be a guy who shows up at the track with a trailer and a crew, racing against a guy who built his whole car himself in his garage. It doesn't seem fair, and it isn't fair. You know, it, it, that's kind of the thing. You know, when if you're a celebrity and you're on TV and you show up at these things, um, I just try to stay in the background. Like when I go to car shows, I'm not going to enter a Duesenberg against a guy that built a 57 Chevy in his garage. Because if you beat him, what, did you, what does that mean? You're just, you're just a rich guy who could afford to get, you know. I'm glad that I'm, I make enough money and can afford to indulge my habit and, and do what I like to do. I don't want to beat a guy who, you know, a guy who runs is better than a guy who walks. And a guy who walks is better than a guy who drives. And, and I don't want to be that guy who is, uh, you know, you go in there and you, and you uh, you know, it's like I used to say about Pebble Beach. It's the only place where millionaires can compete against billionaires and sometimes win. You know, it was, it was just sort of a stupid comment, but it got picked up everywhere. But it's true. I mean, I it, it's never really an equal playing field, and and that's why I don't really like to do it because if if I can afford to have a professional mechanic set up my car, it doesn't seem right that I beat a guy who did it himself. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. In fact, that comment that you made, uh, that was at Goodings Auction, and I believe that was on a Sunday night, and I think you were auctioning off a tractor, right? Remember when you came out on stage? Yeah, that might be. I'm not sure where we did <laughs> yeah. it, but yeah. yeah. And uh, I was sitting there. That's... Speaking of Pebble Beach in Monterey, you're going to be there this year, obviously, right? Yeah, yeah. Are you going to be doing any charity auctions with uh, Goodings? Uh, no, we've done it every year. I think okay. I'm going to let it lay follow this year. Okay. You know? How about uh, the? I know you go out to Monterey to uh, Laguna Seca. Do you, are you going to be at the at the race? Are you? Gonna oh be yeah, doing yeah. I, go, I, I enjoy the vintage races. I like that. That's okay. Fun. Are you going to be doing any filming while you're out there? Oh yeah, we always do. I like to walk the pits and do all that. Okay. Let me ask you a question. And I know that I, I and you know, because like, fortunately, I'm. I'm I'm thankful that I I do a little bit of radio. It's a modest little show and stuff, and I do get to see you. And I'm very very thankful that you take the time out to come on our radio no, show. No, thanks for having me on. And um, but you know, like I've I've been to a number of event, events where you're at, and I always feel for you because even I like to come up and say hi, Jay. I'm Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Can I get a picture with you? You know, just for the contemporary moment and stuff. But I always feel sorry for you because people just constantly come up to you, and you do such a a What's the word I'm looking for? Just that you're just such a gentleman about it. You take the time. Well, that's okay. To talk you to know, people. hey, it's better than being OJ. You know. <laughs> okay. All right. And uh, you know something that pays the rent. I mean, I wouldn't be able to afford my hobby or do any of this stuff if it wasn't for those folks. So, uh, plus, I like people. I like cars. So you know, so it's not like you have to. You know, I always feel sorry for friends of mine who like play doctors on TV shows and they go places and people come up and ask them medical questions. And they're disappointed that he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't, oh, he's not really a doctor. Well, can you just look at it anyway? I'm not a doctor. What are you doing? You know, it, it's a little crazy. So, so this is something I like to do anyway. I would normally just talk cars all day anyway. So the fact that people come up and, you know, they recognize you and they want to say hello or ask you a question, that's fine. Um, a couple of, uh, I think it was about a month or so ago, we had Bernard on, and we were talking to him a little bit. And he's a very interesting, fascinating guy. I want to give uh, a big shout-out to Bernard. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he, he's uh, into, you know, he was uh, had the British Repair Shop. He used to do Jaguars and stuff like that. Matter of fact, right now we're working on a little MGB GT, kind of a fun little car. Right. And um, But Bernard was telling me that uh, he races sidecars. Right. Now, there was one episode, and I didn't get a chance to watch that, but you were actually... On a sidecar as well. Was that Bernard's or was that somebody else's? That was Bernard. That's tomorrow night. Oh, that's, that's tomorrow on, night. Oh, that's on. Put that's on. Uh, that's on Wednesday night show. This when did when did I know? That's tomorrow night. Yeah. 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 Okay. 
Yeah, that'll be on. Yeah, yeah, we had a fun time. So what's that? What was that experience like? You know, it's really weird because you lie face forward. I'm so used to having my feet forward. So your face is and the controls behind you. It's it's really awkward and uncomfortable. I I yeah. I mean, I got used to it after a couple of laps, but it's. Uh, it's it's pretty scary. Do you put a lot of faith in the bike driver? Well, I was the bike driver. Oh, so that's that, right. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. So in that case, I would say yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Very good. So what's the uh, most exciting episode you got coming up? You know, we have some fun stuff. We got, uh, you know, I got Vice President Joe Biden to race uh General Colin Powell in Corvette. Oh. And uh, the Secret Service wasn't thrilled, but because, you know, the, the Vice President, you know, Joe Biden has owned a Corvette, same Corvette since 1967. He got it new. Oh. And he's had it all these years, but he's not allowed to drive. So we were able to get a uh, Secret Service facility in uh, Maryland that has like, you know, 80, 90 miles of roads on it. And, and, and Biden is just peeling out and burning rubber and sliding the car. I mean, they were going, you know, they had to get the vice president to slow down. Somebody cut him off. Somebody cut him You know, that kind of stuff. And then, and then Colin Powell comes in with his new C7, you know, and they're trash-talking each other. It's hilarious. It's pretty funny. Interesting. Interesting. What uh, uh, Colin's, I mean, uh, Biden's Corvette, is it a real 67 car? Yeah, yeah. He got, when he got, his dad was a car dealer, and he gave it to him as a wedding gift. Oh. And he's, he's had it all these years. What motor and transmission's in it? Uh, 327 four-speed, you okay. know, just the standard 300 horse. Okay, well, that's good. It's still a lot of fun. Cooper or Roadster? Uh, 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 Roadster, convertible, yeah. Oh, okay, good, good. Well, that should be a good show. So that's coming out when? In a couple couple weeks? A couple weeks? of weeks, couple yeah, weeks? yeah. Okay. Jay, I know you kind of pressed for time and anything like that, and I want to thank you very much. Hey, well, for... listen, thanks for taking the time. Call me anytime. And uh, we would love to have you back on the show uh, from time to time. You're welcome to just uh, chat with us a bit, and we can talk a little bit about some of your other cars and bikes. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, Jay, I want to thank you very much for coming on Nostalgic Radio and Car this evening. I want to thank my special guest, Jay Leno. Don't forget to check out our show tomorrow night on CNBC, 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars this evening. Don't forget to check out our show every Tuesday night on the Tan Talk Radio Network. If you missed any of our past shows, go to our website, GolfStreamMotorsports.com, and check out our podcast, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Don't forget to like us on Facebook. Bobby, give us the rest of the information on the social media. Facebook and LinkedIn, Nostalgic Radium Cars, Twitter and Periscope, at NRC On Air. Hope everybody had a good 4th of July. In the meantime, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. School, but there's a feller in there who'll pay you $10 if you sing into his can. Downtown Day. I'm not here to make a record, you dumb cracker. It broadcast me out on the radio. WTAN, Clearwater, Tampa Bay. WDCF, Dade City, Tampa Bay. WZHR, Zephyr Hills, Tampa Bay. Listen. I found it out.